Good morning, good morning, good morning, and welcome to this episode of The Morning Lock-In. I'm your host, Norman Locke. I got Lane Johnson, the left tackle of ESPN 1420, not the Eagles, here with me today. But guess what? We're not here today. You know why? We took the day off. Yesterday, August 8th, was my birthday. I don't know if y'all guys knew, but it is a national holiday in like 13 or 15 countries. So I took the day off just to get some R&R amidst of everything that's going on. But I have some awesome guests that's coming on. I have my a good friend of mine that works at ESPN in Bristol who's going to come and talk about how, just how things have been going on up there with all the changes. Also, I have David Grubb, host of Hard in the Paint. Uh, Pelicans podcast. He's coming on also just to talk these Pelicans. I know we kind of upset about the Pelicans, but we got to talk about it. You know, the Pelicans, man. The Pelicans, the Pelicans. You know, I couldn't just vent my frustrations by myself. I had to get somebody else to come on here to so I can vent to them. So I got my man David Grubb, host of the Hard in the Paint podcast, one of the best Pelicans podcasts out. Make sure y'all go on Spotify and download that. Dave, what first off, how's your quarantine been? Um, it's been very interesting. Uh when I started it, I had a radio show. Um, <laughs> 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 and, uh, and then really exactly one month ago yesterday was the day the show uh debuted. Um, August 5th, 2019. So um so here I am a year later, um, in these last few months, I mean, really the best thing about it is I learned more about myself and what I could and couldn't do um, as a reporter, as a journalist, as a creator of content. And um, that part has been, has been fantastic. I mean, I've, I've, I don't think you and I would have connected at all had it not been for that because I got so much more active um, and just and, and, and kind of putting out stuff and communicating with people because I had so much more time. And so I think that that's really helped me um, in that regard. So it's tough being inside. It's tough even more so when you have a, ch- a child and you're trying to figure out school. But overall, hey, we're all dealing with it, and you just do the best you can and try to do the things that keep you as safe as possible. That's a fact, and I'm glad that we connected because, you know, everything happens for a reason. Same thing happened to me myself. Uh, I was covering – High school football, college football, I had two different shows and then now reduced to uh, producing and, and managing my own show and, and finding sponsors to keep myself on the air, to keep afloat right now while everybody's furloughed. Uh, but I'm glad that we connected because, you know, there aren't a lot of us that look alike in, in Louisiana that cover sports. But I'm glad that you're safe. I'm glad that, you know, everybody's just trying to figure it out. Um, Except the Pelicans. <laughs> why, why I mean, they're they trying to figure it out. They just ain't good at it. That's the thing. <laughs> so, you, can't put a kid in from, you can't put a kid from the slow reader group and then put them and have them in AP English. You, can't you know what that. I mean? You can't, it doesn't work. So that's, that's kind of how the Pelicans are right now. You know, you, they've, they, are, they are in a class that they are unaccustomed to. Do you think it's the youth or maybe this is because this is the first season everybody's playing together with the additions of Lonzo Ball and B.I. and Zion not having a full season or or even a half of season of playing together? What do you think, honestly, is cause for all these mental lapses 
in the Pelicans game? Well, number one, uh, I think you can point to some of the youth. You have to, you do have to make some concession for youth. Some. Uh, you look at it, and you have a team that is predominantly made up of guys who are under the age of twenty-five, who come from situations uh, in Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart. They all came from losing situations. Correct. Um, you, you you have guys who never had real leadership roles before on their previous teams. Uh, your Zion Williamson comes in and he does not get to assert himself from day one. So the team develops one culture without him on the floor. And then you have to develop a second with him on the floor. And as we've seen, even with that, it's been difficult because of his minutes. On the third part of that, I think it's, it's, it's a basic mentality that your players either have or don't. And in the conversations that I've had with assistant coaches this season, um, they have commented on their own many times that this team needs to be mentally stronger, that it is not comprised of a bunch of guys who are steely. Um, Lonzo Ball had a, a big confidence problem coming into this season. Uh, you know, I think that, that, that these are guys who, by and large, you look at guys, yeah, these, and they're not assertive, dominant personalities. And I've never seen a championship contending team, even when it didn't win. Like, if you want to talk about teams that don't win, there's a force of nature that sets what that team's personality is. And the Pelicans have a style of play, but they do not have a personality. Yeah, and, that, and that's the biggest thing. I don't know who's the enforcer on a team. I thought coming into the season – you know, Zion's young, but I thought maybe Zion would be the enforcer. But like you said, he's quiet, he's very quiet. You know, he's he's a leader on the floor, not vocally. Then you have B.I. last season coming from an injury, which he thought he might not play again. So, you know, he had to just get in his bag and, and go to work. So he's not going to come to a new team and be the vocal leader. And then this is, you know, J.J. Reddick is a, a veteran leader, but he's he's coming off the bench. You know, you can't you can't be the enforcer coming off the bench. No, let's I mean, let's look at the championship teams of recent times. Last year, Kawhi Leonard was the best player, but he wasn't the leader of that team. The leader of that team was uh, Kyle Lowry. He's the heartbeat of the Toronto Raptors. You know what I mean? He's Mr. Raptor. You watch him right now in the bubble. Who do they rely on? Things orderly. Kyle Lowry. He always puts Kyle everything in, back in place, right? So he's the extension of Nick Nurse. You go look um, the year before that, and you're talking about the Golden State Warriors and their championships. Draymond Green is the centerpiece of that team's attitude. You know what I mean? Like that's his job. He's the guy who can pull Kevin, who could pull Kevin Durant and say, "We need you to do this." He's the guy who could go over Thompson and Steph Curry and say, "We need you to do this right now." I'm holding you accountable because I'm the best defensive player on this team. You know what I mean? I, I pass the ball. I do all the little things. So he had the respect of his teammates because they knew he was going to show up. So if his basketball mind is strong, his abilities are strong, and he shows up, he, he was the leader. And remember, Draymond's guy started on the bench that Mark Jackson didn't want to play. Right. He became the voice of that team. On the Cavs, certainly it was LeBron James. In the Spurs, you had an entire culture built to create leaders, whether it's Tony Parker, Tim Duncan, Manu Ginobili, um, Kawhi, and, of course, Greg Popovich sets the entire tone for that organization. So when you have those teams, you go back to the Pistons when they beat the Lakers. You would say that Rasheed Wallace 
or Ben Wallace or Chauncey Billups, all those guys were those types of people. With the Celtics, it's you know Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, you have Rajon Rondo, all of them are kind of jerks and leaders. So you you have to have that balance. And the Pelicans, it's like you said, your biggest jerk is JJ Redick, but he's a not a you know he's not he's not the guy who's going to lead your team to a championship. And Correct. you have to have that guy. And the Pelicans still have not done that. I think Brandon Ingram is an incredible competitor. I think he's a dog, and I'd want him in the fight with me. But he's not the guy to grab you. You know what I mean? Like, he's not the guy right. to, to tell – he holds himself accountable. We see B.I. after every game, you know, that he doesn't play well, say, this is on me. That personal accountability is important, but somebody's got to be the guy to pull other people's coats and say, hey, man, we got to get on the same page. Why do you think maybe – Drew isn't as vocal as we think we should need him to be. Because Drew, look, Drew's a middle child. You know what I mean? I hate to do the psychology. But he's, <laughs> he's a middle child. And the middle child is, is quite often a quiet one. You know what I mean? Like, okay. you, you look at guys, you look at Justin, his brother Justin, a little more outgoing. You know what I mean? Drew, I think Drew has gotten into this place, and, and this is what's made him successful as an individual player, is he understands what he can do. I defend people, and I he's a new he's the new age Tony Allen. He's Tony Allen, Tony Allen with a, who can score. If Tony can give you twenty, yeah, you know you can Drew can guard one through four if you need him to, and he's going to give you twenty if 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 he you know, and he can give you thirty if he has to. Again, Drew is a guy who leads you in practice. You know what I mean? He's going to do things the right way. He's going to be a pro, and that is fine four days when you're not playing. But when the game is on, it doesn't do you any good to have maybe the best individual defender at the guard position if as a team you're going to go out and throw a lot of teams that just get 120 at will. And that's um, that I was having with some people or a conversation I was having with on Twitter. You know, Drew's all-team defense, excellent. But with, if he's locking down one guard and everybody else is allowed to score in the paint at will, the Pelicans are never going to win. And you saw that today. He, he didn't stop Darren Fox. No. He, did not, he was not successful today against Darren Fox. So even when he does, it's really bad. So my opinion is I think the Pelicans need to just get rid of all our bigs and start fresh with a veteran enforcer and I think the the Pelicans should try to go after somebody like Stephen Adams. What do you think about that? Well, the problem is that this we remember the salary cap in all likelihood is going down. You only have basically from the end of the playoffs to the start of the next regular season. We're anticipating somewhere around two months. That's correct. I do not see a whole bunch of transactions happening this summer, like big ones. Okay, uh, because teams are not going to have money. And teams are not going to – you think about it, you're going to have the draft, you're going to have to integrate your new rookies, and you have to start playing in December. So that's a very short window. I think you're going to see a lot of continuity from certain teams. Now, the Pelicans, these are their, they do have a number He's a free, of players. He is a free agent. Yes, but you're talking about Steven Adams at a price tag of somewhere between 18 to $20 million. And I would also look at – in the if you're if you're Oklahoma City and you just did what you're doing this season, you, you put yourself in a position to get a top four seed, and Adams is your defense. 
they don't have a way to replace him yet. I mean, you could put yeah. Nerlens Noel yeah. in there, but you don't, we know you don't want to start Nerlens Noel. You don't want to no. do that. So yeah. I, I think that his value to Oklahoma City is higher than that, um, than, than even his dollar amount. Uh, because that is a team that still has – and, and, and if you're Oklahoma City, considering the assets that you got from the Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook trade, I'm not giving up Steven Adams and letting him walk. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want something back. And there's nothing that the Pelicans have that they would want. Not a thing. Nothing. Nothing. So my thing about Biggs is, you know, I think people have been a little too hard on Derek Favors. I don't think he's the – you know, he's not the answer at center. But 25 minutes of Derek Favors is about what you want. And I still don't think he's ever been healthy this season. Uh, See, I don't – you can get 25 minutes of Derek Favors, but then who else is right. going to come in? So, I love Jackson Hayes. No. But it's just like both of them on the uh, – you know, spelling each other on the floor with a little sprinkle of Okafor is a, is a recipe for disaster. Well, look, Zion is a below-standard defender. Jackson is Correct. a below standard defender. Ja is a below standard defender. Melly is a below standard defender. So all the pressure for the interior defense falls on favors. So you think about this. When your guards are constantly getting beat and your wings are constantly getting beat, right? And right. you're the only big who knows what everybody's supposed to do. Watch, tell people to go watch the tapes again and see how many times Derek has to step up because other people didn't do their job, and there's no one sliding in behind. So right. pick and roll, they're getting killed. Nobody on this team knows how to read a pick and roll. You know, outside <laughs> of, I mean, you know, Drew and, and, and Favors are solid. Because Favors has seen this. Like, people, people have to remember, this is, like, this is not the Favors that we saw in Utah for a number of reasons. Um, you know, the injury, losing his mother, um, and, and I think just getting acclimated, too to a new place that's always difficult but still his numbers were in in the sample again i'm i'm about the 20 to 25 minutes if yeah i would not want him on the floor 35 minutes a night but if you if you if you is now a, a free agent at the end of this season let ja go by i love ja as a post player he can score on anybody on the post he just can't defend and he can't rebound so i'm letting ja go kenrich williams is a free agent i'm letting kenrich go because okay. at Kenrich's value, I can do better than that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I have, I have three draft picks in this draft. Right. Why am I going to pay Kenrich Williams $2 million plus to give me zeros? So like, <laughs> I'm serious. Like, if people can love him because he hustles, and that's fantastic. But when was the last time he hit a shot? That is true. And, you, and he's not fast enough to defend quick threes. He's not long enough to defend tall threes. He's not strong enough to defend fours. So over the court, but at the end of the game, you look at his stat line, it's two rebounds, three or you know, three <laughs> rebounds, two assists, no points. And two fouls. Right. So so what is that? I can't if I can't replace that, you know what I mean? Like if you can't go out there and find somebody who can do that for you, and even if you go down the roster of guys and you take out the free agents. If I eliminate Etwan, who's a free agent at the end of the season, if I cut Darius Miller, who is non-guaranteed for next year, and I get rid of, um, I get rid of uh, Jalil Okafor. So those are three guys gone, right? Even if I take those three and I stack the rest of them up, Kenrich is going to fall behind everybody else because if you're going through it, you start with you go with your five of Drew, 
Lonzo, Ingram, Zion, Favors. Then you got JJ. Then you got Josh Hart. You got um, uh, Jackson Hayes. Jackson Hayes. You got um, Knowles. You got so I mean you've gotten into nine, nine, yes. and then you're talking about Didi coming over next year, and Didi is probably going to be able to play both the two and the three spots, right? So that brings me to my next question. So now you've got ten. That's what I'm saying. So, so what is my need for Kenrich Williams? So with that money, if you let each one go, if you let Kenrich go, if you let um, those other free agents go, you have plenty of money to find some quality big man depth because there are some very decent big men who are going to be available as free agents who are not super expensive this offseason. See, and that, that brings me to Alvin Gentry and the rotation. I think personally that we might we have too many guards. I think that's kind of messing up the rotation. Not that all of them are, you know, not bad, but it's just like once you get into the starting five and, you know, the nine-man rotation, you got Josh Hart, J.J., Frank, Knowles. You know, I, it's a lot of tweeners. Yeah, the, the biggest problem I had with the assemblage of this roster was that it had too many guys who were roughly 6'4". You know what I mean? Like, uh, you just got yeah, everybody's a two. You can either be a two or, you know, it's, it's either yeah. you're a one or a three. So, <laughs> and then most of them, the problem is of those smaller guys, most of them can't create off the dribble either. No. Each one is not a creator off the dribble. Frank's not a creator off the dribble. You know what I'm saying? So, you've got these six. JJ's not a creator off the dribble. So, you really are stuck with three guys on your entire roster who have to do the majority of the ball handling in Lonzo, Drew, and B.I. Nobody else can handle the ball. Zion is still a guy who, when he gets in traffic, he dribbles with the ball too, too far out in front of him, and he gets stripped. You see it all the yeah, time. Two, two dribbles to the, to, the, to the right, switch over to his left hand. It, it's, it, it's very easy. He's, he's, he has, does not have a, a repertoire off the dribble yet because he's never had to do it. It's like, right. when did he, he have been to bigger do it? than everybody. Bigger, yeah. faster, stronger. I can jump over you, go through you, go around you, whatever I need to do, because I'm playing against, you know, the little sisters of the poor in high school. And then he's playing <laughs> against in college. There wasn't a big in the country who was worth his time that he played against. <laughs> so where did he, you know, where would he learn these things? And so, yeah, so I look at it like that. Yeah, they, they, the biggest mistake was not getting more length on the wings. Um, I thought it was a huge mistake not to go after, um, you know, some of these available small forwards who were sitting out there. Just the, I thought Jay Crowder would have been a great addition. I thought, um, you know, going after some of those types of guys. And even on the bigs, like you talk about, Joel Kim Noah sat out the entire season and gets signed by the Clippers. I thought Noah could have, when, when favors went down the first time, why would you not go out and get a Joel Kim Noah? to teach your bigs who you know are young and don't play defense well. You needed somebody around to help them. and Or even a Kenneth Fareed was available. You yeah. know what I mean? And, and I would have taken 10 minutes of Kenneth Fareed over 10 minutes of Jaleel Okafor in the post of defending because at least I know he's going to box out. And that's the, the Pelicans are not good at the fundamentals. He's going to give effort. Game. He's going to give effort. And that's, a, that's a, a big problem with the Pelicans is who's going, who's going to give the effort and that brings back to who's the enforcer? Who's going to call out guys when they're not giving out the effort? It can't just be J.J. Riddick. No, and that's you see that the, the intensity of this team wavers so much. You know, you see a team that, look, 
Look at it again today. You're playing against the Sacramento Kings, okay? Sacramento Kings, a team that's one of the slowest teams in the NBA, a team that doesn't score a bunch, a team that's missing players, very talented players. And they were they drop 140 on you? You know what I mean? Like they drop 140 on you? You would have thought they, you would have thought KD played for them or something. And and they put up a 45 point quarter, which is the worst in Pelicans history and the best in Kings history. So, you know, this that tells you right there. At some point your pride has to kick in. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean and it doesn't matter what level of basketball you ever played on, whether you played in bitty ball, whether you played in high school, whether you played in college, whether you played on a rec team. If there are cats in there just running up and down the floor on you, at some point you got to knock somebody over. At some point you got to let them know. And I'm not saying be dirty, but at some point you tell people, you do not get easy buckets here. And, no. and even Zion Williamson. The most, again, this physical specimen. Have you seen him put one person on their ass this year on defense? I haven't seen him get angry yet. How many block shots does Zion have this year? How many blocks? I don't know offhand. Less I know than, there's no. It's less than, uh, in 20 games, I believe he has less than 10. And because I and that's another thing when I'm watching his game closely, when he's playing defense, it seems like he's only looking for. The, the prime time big block. He's not looking to steal the ball, defend anybody, or he does not I box can... out. He does not. He's 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 okay in a straight up one on one situation facing up. He's okay. That's it. But if you post him up, if you get him into where he has to help and recover, no, nah, he's done. He's done. And and that you cannot have three fifths of your defense. Because Brandon Ingram is still not a great defender, Ivan. So you can't have three-fifths of your defense be made up of guys who don't know how to defend, and you're relying on two guys to keep everybody from scoring. There's a reason the Pelicans have given up 120-plus points in 41% of their games this season. That's insane. That's in, in this era, even with all the scoring, to be at 40, four out of every 10 games you are giving up 120-plus points. And in those games, in those 28 games, they're 4-24. and 24. So it, it all starts with defense. And the, the thing is, as much as they want to score, if you play great defense, you're going to get to score. Look at the team. Milwaukee's the best defensive team in the league, right? All right. And they're the number three offense. So defense, when, the, when, the, when the Warriors defense win the championships, turns into offense. when the Warriors win the championships, they were top three defense every year. So play defense. You're going to get buckets. If you play defense, you'll get buckets. And they have not figured that out. If you rebound, you get fast breaks. They have not figured that out. So what do you think the Pelicans do with Alvin Gentry? Now, this is a very difficult question. Because I, I don't think David Griffin, anything that happens in this bubble is not going to change David Griffin's mind. So if he's made his decision, he's made it one way or another. It's just like with Monty Williams. Remember they told you, when, the, when it came out, they said, well, if they make the playoffs, we're keeping Monty. And then they fired him right after. <laughs> they had made up their mind. You know what I'm saying? Like, you knew it. You knew Because there's no one thing that will make a, 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 a good manager all of a sudden say, oh, well, I didn't think of that. Unless you win no. the championship. 
know what I'm saying? Like you, it fired Phil Jackson after winning six rings. Right. So, <laughs> so you tell me if, if unless you're bad management, then you've made your decision. You know, even with that Bulls situation, they knew at the beginning of the year Phil ain't coming yeah. back. Nope. And nothing was going to change their minds about it. Phil ain't coming back. And so. If Griffin has already decided to keep Allen, he's going to be here next year. And I think part of that would be because of the timeline. Um, and I don't know who, you know, outside of Kenny Atkinson, who would be the guy that you would target in this short amount of time? Because if you have a team that's going deep into the playoffs, they don't have – who? how are you going to interview him out of this bubble? Right. So I think that the likelihood is that, again, this is the strangest thing about the Alvin Gentry era is that – We've been – he's at a different starting lineup. Every one of them. He's, they, the Pelicans have not gone into back-to-back seasons with the same starting lineup since 2004. Wow. So that lack of continuity certain, certainly would play a part in it. Some, you want some consistency in your franchise, and that is not the New Orleans Hornets slash Pelicans. They've never had it. And after the latest person to suffer from it, I think that he's done some great things in New Orleans. I think he's done some horrible things in New Orleans. Um, I think ultimately he will be with the franchise in one facet or another. Either he's going to be in the front office or he will be coaching next season. But I don't think he's going anywhere. And I'm okay if they keep him because just like you say, it's the timeline. You, you, you get the number one pick. You get Zion Williams. You think you, everything is going to happen. Then Zion gets hurt. Uh, then the coronavirus happens, then the bubble happens. So it's a, it was a lot of moving pieces for this season that had way more expectations than we thought. I would give him one last go-around. It will be his final a bus ticket because the next stop will be off the bus. But if they, the Pelicans were to target somebody, a lot of names that always keep coming up, even though he doesn't get a job, is Mark Jackson. Do you think Mark Jackson – would ever be a good fit for the Pelicans? No, because I don't think Mark Jackson would fit anywhere. Okay. And I'm, and I'm going to say it like this. People have to go look back and see the history of Mark Jackson with Golden State. Don't look at the records. You have to look at what happened there. Um, you remember, look, you know, Chris uh, Finch coached under Mark Jackson. He did? Yeah. And um, he was part of that group. That you know, Mark Jackson had him video. I mean, audio recording the owner in private meetings, and there was a whole situation of that. They the the Warriors basically gave Mark Jackson a blank paycheck, a blank check, and said, "Go hire the best assistant you can find." And he didn't do that because he was he, he thought that they were gonna usurp his power. So he took he hired people and sent them to the G League, hired coaches and sent them down to the G League. Then you had the whole thing with trying to do a faith healing of Curry's ankle. <laughs> bring it to his church. This was legit. That was legit. I forgot about that. So you, you, you bring in Seth Curry. I mean, Steph Curry, you say, I'm going to do a faith healing on your ankle because he had been struggling with it. But, right. but, but wait, but wait. Obviously, it worked. <laughs> I, I haven't heard Seth, Steph say that. Have you heard Steph say that? I haven't seen and Steph. We know Steph I'm, I'm, you know Steph loved the Lord. You know Steph loved the Lord. But I haven't seen him have a major ankle injury in so long, so I don't know. But he didn't miss this whole season, season hurt. This whole season, but prior to this season, he's won MVPs, won a United MVP, he's won multiple championships, so I don't know. 
I'm, I'm, I'm still out on that one. We don't know if it did or did not work. Okay. And then you got, remember you had the uh, FBI in, uh, investigation because he was getting um, uh, blackmailed by a prostitute. You remember that? I doubt that came at the tail end. Then you also had um, the fact that he didn't, he thought that Draymond Green was not a starter. <laughs> that he no, wasn't. they... They have a lot of people that, that feel like that about Draymond, though. And when Draymond first got on the scene, I wasn't – until I had to really sit down and watch a couple Golden State games, I didn't have respect for Draymond either. I will tell you this, and, and you, you can go back and check the receipts. I can pull them up. Where I thought Draymond that, that year, he ended up being a second-round pick when he came out. I didn't think he was going to fall past Miami. I thought he would have been wow. a perfect fit with Miami. Um. Because that grit, time, I mean, you, that grit would have, would have. Udonis Haslam was at the starting four at the time, and I was like, "Great, Draymond's better than Udonis Haslam." And so I just thought about it in that context how that would have changed the Heat franchise. He'd been that guy, but um, yes, but Mark Jackson said he didn't see it. He didn't see what he could do, so he wasn't really a fan of. Saw what happened when he loved guys like Andrew Bogut and people. There, were, there hasn't. Have you seen anybody other than Andre Iguodala, who played for that team, say what happened to Mark Jackson? No, and that's 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 the thing. I've, I've I keep seeing. You know, it's like I'll say it's sixty forty. Got sixty percent people saying, yeah, Mark Jackson shouldn't be coaching. But then you have the forty percent that you hear a couple rumbles like Mark Jackson deserves a job in the NBA. And, I, you know, you just gave me a lot of bit of different insight to, to think about as a whole of why Mark Jackson isn't currently coaching in the NBA. Look, when your owner says, when the owner of the team says, when Mark left the building, he didn't have a single friend. <laughs> what does that tell you? That nobody, You're the problem. Yeah. Like, dude, nobody is Nobody stands up. Because you know how this goes. Look at, look at David Fisdale, right? Fizz yeah. gets fired in Memphis, fired in New York. LeBron stands up for stands up for Fizz. CP3 stands up for Fizz. Players all over the league stand up for Fizz, right? And Have nobody you seen any of that for Mark Jackson. Any of that? None. Steph Curry can single handedly get him a job by saying he helped develop me and got me to the point where Steve Kerr took me to the next level. But them, them words never came out. Now, Steve Kerr, remember the first year, he was very careful to make sure that he credited Mark Jackson for getting the team to that point. And he, you know, he, but since then, ain't nobody talking about Mark Jackson. And then you also have to remember <laughs> this. Think about this, too. Who is Mark Jackson represented by? Uh, who? I'm, I don't know. Clutch! Ah! Mark Jackson is represented by Clutch. And since you have and since you see him on the, when he does broadcast, have you ever heard him say a negative thing about anybody associated with Clutch? Any player? No, you can't do that. So how can you trust a coach who is with an agency that is run by a player? Essentially, look, Rich Paul is the agent, yes. But this is LeBron's agency. Okay, this is LeBron. LeBron runs everything. Okay, so let's, <laughs> let's not pretend. I'm, and that's not to discredit Rich Paul as a businessman. And I didn't need to do that at all. But the ultimate decider in all of these things is LeBron. So that to me is I, I don't want that kind of conflict with my coach either. Because how are those decisions now getting made? 
How are you bringing in people? And you think about that. You bring that into New Orleans. You bring Clutch into New Orleans. You have the public's feeling about Clutch. Mm. But then you also have Josh The Anthony Hart. Davis situation. You have Josh Hart, who's not a fan of LeBron. They had a deep Brandon Ingram. And Lonzo are not particularly in love with LeBron either. So you bring that attachment back and you start doing those things. People, that, how does that rub people? I mean, look, Mark Jackson, he didn't show you anything that made you think that he was great. You know what I mean? Like Lenny Wilkins to be, you know, he's the winning, was the winningest coach all time, won a lot of 50-game seasons. But did you ever feel like, oh, Lenny Wilkins is a great coach? No, he thought it was a good one. And I think that's what Mark Jackson, his ceiling was. He's a good coach. But his problems outweigh his benefits. Okay. Now, let's get off the, the – I, I hate to say the losers, but the Pelicans right now, they're, they're losers. They're losers. The, what teams right now – give me your hottest team in the bubble right now and give me your projected uh, seeding for the East and the West. The most dangerous team in the West is Portland. Okay. I agreed. Look, I said that three weeks ago. Yeah, me too. I said, oh, I said it three weeks ago. I said, yeah, they better watch out because – Dame, all you have to do is give Dame a chance. Dame gonna take that chance. Melo's <laughs> looking for revenge, and now that uh, 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 the center's healthy, oh, yeah. Let's look at it like this. When I saw, um, you know, when I saw what the matchups were looking like, yeah, Portland's schedule is crazy. Okay, yeah, it's crazy. But you have Lillard who healthy because he missed. If Lillard had been healthy for that stretch of games before the the season shut down, Portland would already be in the top eight. We know that. Okay? I mean, it's just that simple. Right. Um, it's just like the year, you know, the year that the Pelicans made the playoffs on Anthony Davis's shot, you know, um, and get in on by beating the Spurs on the last day. They ain't in the playoffs if Kevin Durant plays 30 games that season. 100%. So, 100, 100%. So let's just, you know, you have to be real about these things in perspective. So now they add, you get Damian Lillard back. You get Nurkic back. You have Hassan Whiteside. You have Zach Collins back. You have Melo. I hate Hassan Whiteside. But, I'm, but at the same time, if you're Hassan Whiteside, you, you know that this guy can give you on any given night, if he's committed, 15 points, 15 boards, three blocks. You know what I'm saying? There ain't a lot of guys who can do that. If he's committed, if he's, which, is, which, which is not often. But that's why you have Nurkic. That's so you, you so so Whiteside is a luxury item, and that's a hell of a luxury to have. Because if the Pelicans, if you had a sign, no, no, I, I, I would be upset because he he's worse. Like I, I don't like his mantra. I don't like his demeanor. I don't say like, if he was coming off the bench instead of Jacks. Oh yeah, I'll be I'll be way upset. I'll be fighting. I'll be happy that the Pelicans gave calling hands out. So, but I, I mean, at the same time. You take it, let's take it like this. Let's say Portland, and it's the Portland and the Pels. It's Portland and the Pels in the 8-9. And that's being optimistic for the Pels. Because I, th- I, I don't think Memphis wins maybe more than one game the rest of the way. I agree with you. But and the Spurs, got to watch The Spurs and the Spurs. Suns, for some, I will, I'm not giving the Suns credit for that third win. They needed I'm it. I'm not. But that was the Milwaukee team that only played its starters at the most. Giannis played 17 minutes in that game. It was six or seven in 17 minutes. So I'm not giving the Suns credit for that one. But they won three games. So that's what they had to do. Right. But let's just say it's the Pelicans and the Blazers. Pelicans have beaten the Blazers four times. I don't think they can beat them twice. Again. Not in that bubble. So 
So let now you put Portland in the eight spot. Portland versus Lakers in round one. I've watched these Lakers and I've seen them play Portland when they were fully healthy and they had nothing for Portland. Nothing. The guards nothing cannot can, cannot answer CJ and Dame. I, I I keep saying like people were asking for this Pelicans first round matchup against the Lakers. That was going to be a cakewalk for LeBron and AD. You put the Blazers in that spot. That it really could go six or seven games because is Alex Caruso checking Dane? Uh, I don't know what's gonna happen. You remember, you remember what happened on Kobe night, right? Oh. And Dane goes for 50 on Kobe night, <laughs> <laughs> embarrassed everybody in the gym. So, and and look, remember when the first time the Pelicans beat the I mean, you know, the Blazers at home, that was Melo's first game in over a year. Remember that? So, so you was that was still a shorthanded Blazers team. Melo was like coming in, and they were counting on him to get buckets that night. Well, now in your fourth option, your fourth option is Carmelo Anthony, who got you fifteen and eleven the other night and was knocking down clutch jumpers. So you less, put that, less pressure. You put that in the Lakers, and you have an Anthony Davis who's never been a favorite in his life in the NBA. Never does not know that pressure. And what is he doing right now in the postseason? Shooting less than 40% in those three games? Against whom? You know what I'm saying? So LeBron looks like he's is looking old. He's looking old, bro. The defense is, has. The offense looks terrible. They can't score. Danny Green has been the worst, one of the worst players in the bubble. And, and I, look, people, this is the thing that for people who, who think that the Pelicans are bitter, that Pelicans fans are bitter. When we talk about Anthony Davis, I wrote pieces this summer with someone who covers the Lakers. We worked on this together because after the trade went down, you know, we were comparing what we could expect. And I was very open with them. And I said, this dude is not a number one. He's a 1A, a 1B. He's not a number one. And we're seeing the same stuff we saw in New Orleans. If you get physical with him, he don't really want to deal with that. He don't want to play the five. He still doesn't have a post move. And so if you're the Blazers and you throw Nurkic at him and you get to be physical with him, you also have Whiteside to go be physical with Dwight Howard. You have Collins to stretch JaVale McGee out. You make LeBron defend Melo. You have, and like you say, you got Caruso and Danny Green and J.R. Smith (laughs) out there. And they're all shooting below 40%. So, yeah, if you're Portland, I think Portland could beat the Lakers in round one. So then you go to round two, okay? And the four or five right now is Houston and Oklahoma City. I think I don't want to play – I mean, I don't want to play Oklahoma City either. No, it's, no, no. So the, the four and five is Utah. Excuse me, Utah, Utah and Houston. Oh, yeah. Utah and Houston, Oklahoma City six. So you got Utah and Houston at four or five. I think Portland could beat both of those No, teams. I think the Rockets are at six right now. Oh, they fell behind. That's right. Because they yeah. So, so four or five is, is Utah, Oklahoma City. I would give Portland a chance, it's a good chance to beat Utah because I don't think Utah can defend their guards either. No. And the, then, uh, Damian Mitchell, he, he, he's, he's on or he's really off? Yeah. Donovan Mitchell's a volume shooter, so when he's off and they don't have um, Boyan Bogdanovich, so you're missing that shooting, I don't think they can keep up with the Blazers. Oklahoma City's a tough team. I think that would be a great series in the second round if they ended up playing Oklahoma City. But then you get to the third round, and if it's the Blazers and the Clippers – What's the, what's the Clippers' only weakness? Interior defense. Mm-hmm. So if Nurkic is able to go off, 
then you give them a puncher's chance. The, the Clippers would still be the favorite. But the Blazers were a Western Conference final team last year. They could get back there this year as an eight. If it comes, I believe. If it comes down to one shot, we know we know who gonna who gonna make the shot in somebody else's face. Tell me who's more dangerous because it ain't Dallas because Dallas can't defend. No, Oklahoma City not. doesn't have enough parts. They're, they're, I don't want to play them because they're gonna make you frustrated the whole time. But they don't have enough parts. Houston is too small and relies too much on James Harden. So the then you talk about Denver. Denver looks like a shell of itself. And now I, I, I disagree. I like Denver right now. Denver is my I guard love Denver team as right a now. team, but I just don't. I'm I'm not happy with their guard play right now. I don't know why, but I'm just I'm, I thought I would see something different. But maybe I'm not. I would I wouldn't count Denver out, but I'm saying. To me, the scariest team is Portland. That's me. The scariest, the best team is the Clippers. The scariest team is Portland. Okay, what about the East? The East is Milwaukee, still by a lot. Okay. Like, who has more than Milwaukee? Who, no one. No. No one. But I, I'm going to put in the same category with Milwaukee. I know a lot of people have the Boston Celtics no, up there. No, Toronto. Yeah, I, I, so I'm about to say Toronto and the Heat. Bucks, Toronto, Heat are my three best teams coming out of the East. The Heat are going to give you problems because they play as a team and they're going to defend. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's going to be the and, Heat. The heat, the heat and it gonna... seems like each person on the squad, each, each person in the rotation can give you buckets. Duncan Robinson can give you buckets. Jimmy Butler give you buckets. Tyler Harrow give you buckets. Goran <laughs> Dragic give you buckets. Dunn can give you buckets. Bam. Bam can give you some buckets. So, yeah, if I'm the Heat, and you know, again, what do they have? An established culture. They have a leader in Butler. They have a veteran presence um, in, in these guys. Yeah, you got Eric Spolstra as a coach, and you have a front office that's, that says, this is what we do and do not accept. So, Big all Pat those things are in So, yeah, I mean, and then you look at Toronto, and you say, they're still Best coach team in the league. A consummate team. And they have guys who can go off. Fred Van Vliet can go off of 30 on any night. Yeah, Pascal I can give you 50. You know, Kyle Lowry can give you 30. They have enough guys. And, you, and even Serge Ibaka looks much better this year than he did last year. Yeah. Than so, the past two years. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the East, Philly, I'm not a – I don't like Philly. I hate Philly. I'm, I think it's a, it's a team full of power forwards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think Boston has regressed. I don't think that they – Boston is another team without a leader. A Boston team with all the small forwards. Small forwards and guards. So all small That's forwards it. and guards. They have nothing on the inside. Um, and so, yeah. So Boston's biggest problem is that they can't rebound enough and they don't have a leader. Is it Tatum? Is it Brown? Is it Kimball? Who's the leader? Somebody has to step up and they all want to be the guy. So even Gordon Haywood wants to be the leader and the guy, but you can't you can't have four alphas. Nope, and not when all of them are predominantly jump shooters, too. And not when three of the four play the same position. Yep, because Brown ain't no shooting guard. I don't care how many times they play him as shooting guard. He ain't a shooting I don't guard. care. And I keep telling people that. And then you got Marcus Smart, who's barely a point guard. Yeah, I don't you call know. him a point guard at all. To me, he's still a two. Because he's, he's not a, a two. He's, he's not a ball handler. You know, I'm not counting on Marcus Smart to, to handle the ball for me in the crunch time. 
So I'll, I'll take Boston out of consideration. I think they have to alter their roster to kind of fit. Like you said, they got to pick who's going to be their alpha. And, then and losing Al Horford alpha. hurt them so much. Oh, it shows. They, 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 I was surprised that they didn't make them to get a big before the deadline. That was a shock to me that they didn't do it. There were people available. I mean, what did it, Atlanta got Dwayne Dedman back from Sacramento for nothing, and then they got Clint Capella. Those are two bigs that Boston certainly could have tried to get. Clint Capella on Boston would have definitely upgraded their team. I would have liked that team with, with Clint Capella at the center. Yeah, because what's he going to do? He's going to block shots, and you just have to run pick and roll for him. And he's going to run the floor with you, too. And he's going to get offensive rebounds. He does, he does a very good job on offensive glass. So I think Boston made that mistake. But, yeah, that, that's where I see it right now. Um, I think th- there's a potential for upsets in this bubble because there is no home court advantage because you don't get as many rest days. And if you're a, if you're a team that's scrappy and young and you win game one, you flip a whole series up the top of his head. Beat the Lakers oh. in game one of a series and see how tight their asses get. <laughs> it's going to be real tight because, um, like, I uh, forgot who J.J. Riddick had on his, his podcast. It was Dane. I think it was Dane. J.J. Riddick had uh, somebody on his podcast, and they said that there's no true home field advantage, and the reason why, home court advantage, and the reason why guys are going off in the bubble is, and what I didn't even think about is, in the, in the arenas, the depth perception of your shot is altered with you being in the giant dome arena. With you being on that basketball court, it's just you and the hoop. That's, that's something that I've really loved about this, is that this is basketball. The production stuff has not intruded as much as it does when you typically watch a game. I don't have to sit there and look at the crowd. I don't have to worry about and, – and, look, I love dance teams. I love all those things. <laughs> but I am a basketball person, and I go to watch basketball. So now when I turn on these games and I see basketball, and I don't have to worry about T-shirt cannons, and I don't have to worry about music. The and, senior citizen shake squad. <laughs> hey, more power to you. But this, I get to watch basketball right now, and I think that that for me, and I also think that's a benefit to the NBA to not have so much of the other stuff going on, because I think it makes you appreciate. It makes new fans, especially casual fans, really appreciate the game because you get to watch it. You get to see. There's so much more room for replay. There's so much more room to to even on the court. There's more room for players to move because you don't have the press. You don't have fans courtside. You know, there's I mean, there's a there's it's it's, right. it's different. It's it's different. And so no, I'm TV time that ain't got that many TV timeouts. Not really. I mean, it's it's much better basketball to me as an observer. You know, I'm almost at the mindset now. It's like in the future. I think most people don't want to go to games by and large anyway. You know, I think that's where we're headed as a society. You want the comfort of watching the game of being at home. If you had an arena that had 10,000 people and it was full and everybody else was at home watching it and enjoying it, I still think you'd make a ton of money because of subscription services. But it don't do no good when you have an arena that's 18,000 only 12,000 people show up. Pelicans. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, I think thank you again for joining me on this episode of the Morning Lock In. Again, big shout out to Dave Grubb, host of Hard in the Paint podcast. Make sure y'all go find it out. What can they find you on Twitter, Instagram, 
Drop your social handles for us. Yeah, at DM Grub on Twitter and Instagram. And you can and the show um, on Instagram, H-I-T-P with D Grub. And then the website where you can get what I write, radio appearances, TV appearances, all those things um, on H-I-T-P with DG.com. And also the store is there with some dope gear. So check it out. Make sure y'all go get that dope merchandise. Thank you again for coming on this episode of Morning Lock-In. I appreciate you, Dave. I look forward to the next time, brother. You ain't even got to have John Madden. You ain't got to have Dick Vitale. You ain't got to have Lee Carso. You ain't got to have Stuart Scott. You ain't got to have Linda Cohen. No, I'm talking about you ain't got to have the staff for ESPN. You ain't got to have the ABC staff just to speak sports, baby, because I got games for you. Welcome back to the morning lock-in. I told y'all each and every week I was going to have some special guests from all walks of life. Today I got my main man, journalist and current PA at ESPN in Bristol. That's Connecticut. That's the big time place. My guy, Jason Amino. We call him Jamico. So that's what we're going to call him here on the show. How you doing today? Hey, thank you so much, Norm. Thanks for having me on, man. Jamico. It's good to, it's good to be here. It's good to be here talking sports, bro. Hey, you know, we blessed to be talking sports right now because two months ago, three months ago, we wasn't talking about nothing. Nope. Wasn't doing anything. So how how have things been with ESPN and you out there in Bristol with the quarantine and everything happening? Oh, it's been good, man. It's been good. I can definitely say, um, you know, as we discussed, like that moment, and I think right when everything kind of started hitting, obviously the Rudy Gobert news uh, contracting COVID-19 and then everything that came with that, all the major professional leagues shutting down. Uh, I think it really kind of brought a lot of perspective on, you know, what sports mean to us and more generally what entertainment means to us in terms of, for me, like music, film, all the things that we loved and enjoyed so regularly just being kind of taken from us at a moment's notice. Um, but honestly, as, as much as we're still in an uncertain period, as much as I think we still got a lot of things to get through just as a country, as a society, um, I'm glad, man. Just like you, we got the bubble. We got some NBA. We got some action. Uh, we got MLB for however knows <laughs> whoever knows how much longer. Um, but yeah, we got NBA and uh, you know NHL and and obviously um, the playoffs. So so I'm stoked about that, man. Now speaking about Rudy, Rudy shut down the league and was the first to score the first basket in the bubble, and then he hit the game winner. Crazy. In that game. That's- it's crazy. You can't sports. You can't make it up. Nope. Um, but that brings us to the, the NBA. What do you think about the bubble, the setup, uh, the production, how the media has been handling? What you what's your total synopsis of this NBA bubble down in Orlando? No, it's a great question, Norm. Um, I think I, I have something of an interesting perspective because obviously I am here in Bristol at, at the mothership, as we call it, with ESPN. But I've been fortunate enough to work on a bunch of games uh, since the restart. Uh, I did a doubleheader last week. I just actually did a doubleheader yesterday with the OKC Laker game uh, and the and the Brooklyn Nets Celtics game, which was kind of a snooze fest. But um, <laughs> I will say, like, I mean, I work with the with Deportes and the Spanish broadcast side, so um, we're obviously doing some of the same games, just in a completely different language, um, which is honestly kind of interesting. But I will say, like, I think NBA, more so than any other league, has done a great job of, of everything. I think, you know, obviously acknowledging the, the issues of racial injustice in this country and, and shedding light on that properly. 
throughout the duration of the restart, I think the the design, the presentation, the production value of the whole thing, both NBA and WNBA have been very impressive. Um, and I think the, the quality of play, I mean, I think we've seen, you know, sometimes maybe a little bit lackluster defense. Uh, I did a Mavericks Rockets game that, you know, I thought the <laughs> NBA record for all time points, 1983, 370 total points in that game. So I thought maybe wow, we were going to touch that because the, because the uh, Mavericks in Houston came a little bit close, but, um, but no, I think, I think it's been good overall. I mean, my impression is obviously kind of Bill Simmons has said, and I feel like it's a combo of like AAU FIBA tournament, Euro league, summer league. Like it has a little bit of all those in terms of playing basketball in an empty gym, plus all the added eyeballs because, the last few games of the NBA and then the NBA playoffs. So so it's been good, man. I, I can't complain, honestly. It's good to have it back on our TVs. Yeah, I really love, you know, I love what the NBA and Adam Silver has been able to concoct in a short amount of time for it to be so successful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what, what questions, what, what's been bothering me and, and the question that's been on my mind is why haven't the other commissioners talk to Adam Silver, kind of get a round table of the, the big commissioners, you know, like old mob families, and Adam, give them the game, you know, like, here you go, Roger, this is how we do this, you know, <laughs> no, for real. why can't he just give them the game, you know, they haven't had any positive tests in what, the last three weeks, two weeks? No, yeah, from what we know, and, and I think your point is well taken, especially because if you consider, like, beyond just how they've dealt with with COVID-19 and the restart. I think if you look at the NBA from a lot of different perspectives, from a a popularity standpoint, from a rating standpoint, from a sales standpoint, um, from a social justice standpoint, like the NBA is honestly firing on all cylinders right now and seems to be just they get it right in so many facets, um, despite whatever criticisms people might have of the league. I think they're really, yeah, like I said, firing on all cylinders and just doing an amazing job, it would be well served for for the Rob Manfreds and the much maligned Roger Goodells of the world to talk to Adam Silver and have not only right now, they probably have an open line of communication with him, but really get in the room and be like, yo, Adam, how do we get our leagues like yours? Like, I think they need to sit there and really draw from what the NBA has done because, you know, as much as we love those other sports, they have a lot more things to improve upon that Hey, even despite what happened with with the Houston Rockets GM Daryl Morey's tweet in the offseason and all the uh, incidents regarding the China stuff, they've bounced back. I mean, yet again, you see the NBA is is seemingly in the top. So, yeah, no, the other commissioners could learn a lot. The other commissioners need to call him, need to sit down, (laughs) FaceTime, FaceTime, Zoom, something. They got to get it done. Now, with like you say, in this in the bubble, it's, it's like open gym. You know, it's you in the hoop. It's 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 me, my guys versus your guys. There's no home court advantage. There's no when I hit this three, the fans go crazy, and now I can't even get down the court. I'm scared. You know, what do you think is the well? Who do you think is the hottest team in the NBA bubble right now? No, I mean from what I've seen, um, I mean it definitely it definitely reminds me of like I grew up playing basketball at a gym called Club Sport in Fremont, California, and we were actually fortunate enough just for whatever reason, um, Robert Para, the majority owner of the Memphis Grizzlies, owned a company in the Bay Area, so he would play with us. Uh, one year he brought like Mike Miller, Tony Allen, and Mike Conley to just come shoot at our gym. 
Um, yeah, no, he was amazing. Um, and then we played with like Lil B. He would literally just play with us. I'm not, I'm not kidding. <laughs> played, packed, and shot, uh, scored a basket on Lil B. And he's just like, did he cook? Did he want on? Honestly, people? he just was like an average player. He's kind of a small guy, but I will say, like when we hit buckets against him, we did do a little cook a little bit because we had to. <laughs> we had to. But yeah, no, this this restart in the gym it really reminds me of that as far as just like five on five, like open gym runs, like you're just playing. You know, it's it's everything else, like all the fat, if you will, cut out and just the basketball. Um, and I think with that, I have to say, the hottest team, the team that really has impressed me. Um, I think the Nuggets deserve an honorable mention because of how well Michael Porter Jr., my guy from Mizzou, although only two games, um, has looked. I think, you know, Jokic, some of those guys. Um, But I honestly, man, the hottest team to me, I got to go with the Portland Trailblazers, man. I I really do. I really do. I love Syracuse. My dad's family's from upstate New York. I've always loved Carmelo. I think kind of to what you've alluded to, Melo has been much maligned, some of that unjustifiably so, and he's proved it. He's still capable of scoring in this league. He's still capable of playing good minutes. He's still capable of – I mean, he doesn't have to be the guy there. They have Dame Lillard. They have C.J. McCollum, and they have a lot of guys where, you know, in the paint as well with Hassan Whiteside, Nurkic, uh, Collins, they might be a force. They might just grab that eighth seed. I'm sorry to say I know you got some Pelicans homers probably, but – Man, I, man, I only want. We're not gonna talk about the Pelicans right <laughs> now. We're not gonna talk about the Pelicans right now. I'm still licking my wounds, but I do agree with you with the Blazers. I, I've actually picked the Blazers to get the eight seat in the beginning of the bubble, yeah. uh, just for all the reasons that you just alluded to. I just think Melo right now being the fourth scoring option takes so much pressure off him. And right now, this is the least amount of pressure Melo has ever had in his career, and he's blossoming. Mm. He doesn't have the New York eyes on him. He doesn't have the pressure of, of competing against the King as he was in with the Nuggets. You know, I think this is the best version of Melo, not scoring-wise, but this is the best mentally version of Melo that we are seeing. And, and I'm with you. If the, the Lakers are going to have a handful – if the Blazers get this eight seat, because Alex Caruso, Danny Green, who's been playing terrible, and J.R. Smith, it won't be able to contain Dame Lillard and C.J. McCollum. No, it's a fair point. I mean, you know, with Melo, I think, especially if you look at kind of what preceded his time with Portland this season, the guy went to OKC, didn't work out. The guy went to Houston. They trade him to Chicago, who then waves him. Like, they wave a Hall of Fame one of the greatest players of this generation, 03 draft. Like, I mean, it is disrespectful if you look at what he was capable of, but it just wasn't a fit. I think there's so much to be said for in sports and specifically in the NBA of context and a guy's surroundings, a guy's environment, a guy's team, a guy's especially point guard and, and coach. So it looks like right now what we're seeing is, you know, Carmelo Anthony is looking like maybe not his old self, the Nuggets, the year they went to the Western Conference Finals and lost to the Lakers, but – they're definitely, you know, he looks good. He looks like he's going to help them a lot. And as you said, I mean, if, if he's your fourth scoring option, that's a Hall of Fame first ballot guy who can really score from anywhere in the court at any time, not to mention what they have with Damian Lillard uh, as well as C.J. McCollum. So, so it should be interesting, man. I think they're really gunning for that eighth seed. All right. What about in the East? What, what's, who's the hottest team in the East to you? 
Again, a toss-up. Um, I think I definitely, you know, Indiana Pacers have to be an honorable mention. We've seen TJ Warren, guy who just didn't show a deep jumper earlier in his career in the league, showing his ability to score from beyond the arc, to hit that 15 to 20 footer and do things in the paint. I think that's added a whole new dimension to them. Plus they have Oladipo back healthy again. Um, but I got to go with the Boston Celtics, man. I did their game last night, obviously against a decimated Brooklyn Nets roster. Um, but Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker, they don't really have a center. They don't really have guys in the paint that seem like they can keep up. But that that really nice kind of group of young, blossoming, scoring wings might just take them deep in the playoffs again. Now, this is where we're going to have to disagree. One, I don't have any faith in the Indiana Pacers. I like <laughs> T.J. Warren. He has been able to, to, to bring that clip out in this bubble. But I have zero faith in the Indiana Pacers. Two, the Boston Celtics. My problem with the Boston Celtics is it's like everybody plays the same position. Mm. And, there's, and there's no alpha male on the team. You can't, you can't sit there. Well, Boston, you can't go between Kimba being the leader and the veteran on that team, Jason Tatum being the blossoming superstar, I, I haven't figured out Jalen Brown yet, but he's more of the alpha on the team, but he isn't the best player on the team. Then you got Gordon Haywood just thrown in the mix. And then, like you said, they don't have any bigs. So I, I, I kind of fallen off from Boston. I think they have regressed from last season. I, I think they need to revamp their roster. Uh, I think losing Al Hawford has hurt them more than it has helped them, even with the addition of Kimber Walker this season. So I'm going to have to disagree on both your East picks. <laughs> no, and it's all good. I mean, and you make a fair point. Like Tatum, you know, I watched him at the Missouri State High School Basketball Finals with Chaminade. I've seen him a lot in the league since. He looks amazing. He looked amazing in the last couple of playoffs. But then, as you said, like I'm looking here at his field goal uh, percentages in the last few games in the bubble against the Bucks in the first game since the restart. He went two for 18. You know, 11 for he had to cut his hair, game, six for 11, seven for 11. And I mean, frankly, that's not what you want from a superstar, right? You want a lot more attempts, a lot more buckets. So, no, it's a fair point. I think, you know, if they're going to make anything of a deep run, they need Tatum to step up in a big way and they need all their guys to really play like they're capable of. I don't think they're, they're quite there yet, but they've definitely looked good in the bubble. So, if you was to give me your Give me, give me your Western Conference Finals, give me your Eastern Conference Finals, and give me your, your championship winners. Okay, for sure. Yeah, I thought we were going to go through the seeds, but honestly, a lot of the seeding is fairly set. I mean, yeah, it's a kind of difference between a lot of them, but um, – no, other, oh, go ahead. Yeah, other than the eighth and the ninth seed with the play-in, right. uh, other than that, like you said, it's pretty much seeded. Right. Yeah, Brooklyn. Brooklyn's a wrap, I think, in that eighth seed in the in the East. And then I was going to talk to you about the West. You know, I said Portland. I really want to go New Orleans because I think it's so good for the league if Zion plays in that. The way Ingram's looked, Lonzo Ball's obviously gone to a different level since leaving the Lakers. But man, it's so hard to pick against the Blazers with all that they have and the way they've been playing. Even with the Suns, even with the Spurs, kind of making a little push for it, I think the Blazers are ultimately going to get that eighth seed. But uh, as for conference finals. Uh, we could start with the East. I think, man, it's tough just because of the way Giannis has played and because of that roster, um, especially now that we know about this patella subluxation for Ben Simmons. I think it's going to be Celtics-Bucks. 
Um, and then in the West, I think it's going to be – it's so hard, man. I think, you know, Houston, the particular <laughs> basketball, there's so many good teams. Man, I I got it as – I'm going to go Lakers-Nuggets, man. I really do. Okay. I think, I think okay. that's my West. I like conference. that. And then in the finals, I think I got to take go with the OG Classic, 30 for 30, three-part series, Celtics-Lakers, man. We got to hey. do it. We got to see it. You know what's crazy? Every old head in the barbershop has always told me that the NBA will find a way to get the Lakers and Boston back in the finals. And that's mm. and it's crazy to have sit and watch Boston get better, the Lakers get better, and then slowly but surely, I think I can agree with you that it it's possibly could happen, especially in these next coming seasons, this season, next season, and the following, with the youth of uh, the Boston Celtics. And then if you got LeBron James, you you arguably got, you know, 50-50 chance you're going to be in the finals. Yeah, the way that it's gone. I mean, obviously, I'm a, I'm a diehard Warriors fan, just a disclaimer. I always say that I grew up, you know, 10 minutes from Oracle Arena, and I watched them in the Zarko Chibarkaba era. Year after year, they had, you know, garbage draft picks, and then obviously we're able to build a dynasty in the last five seasons that we've seen. You know, it is interesting. We went 15-50 and 50 this year. Obviously, no Steph, no Clay for much of the year. Uh, really no Draymond, so... They had a decimated roster, but, uh, you know, just kind of keeping that perspective of what we were able to do in those finals, what we were able to do throughout all these last five postseasons, kind of that mindset of what that team was able to do. And then where that team is now kind of looming large as a shadow over the rest of the league in future seasons. I think LeBron and Giannis know that. I think they're aware. Look, if we don't do it this year, Steve Kerr. Steph, they're going to be back, man. They're going to be back regardless of whether KD's there. So, um, so yeah, and I think it's so tough to go against Giannis, the way he's looked all season. I mean, that guy scores in a multitude of ways. That guy just looks incredible defensively. He's probably going to be the MVP and the defensive player of the year. Um, but I got to give it to LeBron, man. I got to say it's going to be Lakers over the Celtics. I really – Okay, now, now you, you – you... Back to your Golden State Warriors. Yeah. I'm still – I'm with you on – Next season, once Steph returns and Clay returns, that next season's NBA season probably will be the most even kill that the NBA has ever been. Because mm. you the, the West is going to be stacked, but the East is going to be stacked with Kyrie and KD return back to the Brooklyn Nets. So I think the, the basketball gods have kind of evened all the playing fields once Steph Clay returns and once Kyrie and KD returns because, man, the, the 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 talent, especially with the Warriors, what everybody is alluding to is that y'all probably trade Andrew Wiggins for somebody else. And that's what I'm terrified of is, like, what if the Golden State Warriors get a lottery pick and end up with uh, Lonzo Ball or, or, or end up trading Andrew Wiggins for Giannis after he demands a trade from Milwaukee? after maybe losing in the finals. I'm terrified of going to sleep <laughs> next season. That's good. That's good. No, I mean, I think that stuff's a little crazy. I think hearing Steve Kerr this week, I mean, they sound pretty committed to Andrew Wiggins. I mean, he fits as a wing, an athletic guy on both ends of the floor, kind of doesn't have to be the guy like he was dependent to be in Minnesota. He can score. He can do a lot of things and doesn't, like I said, doesn't have to be the focal point. Um, but I honestly think I think they're going to keep that Wiggins pick. I think we've seen the emergence of Marquise Chris um, and also 
Oh, they had they had Marquise Chris and somebody else kind of look good for them off the bench this year. Um, I think you know we'll see what they he do. Kind of looks like Draymond Green. What's his name? Stuck with oh him. Eric Pascal. That's who I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah, out of Villanova. Eric Pascal's look really good. Um, and then honestly, you know, a t- potentially a top three pick. Like if they come, I want Obi Toppin. But if they come out with Justice, Win- uh, excuse me, if they come out with uh, a guy out of Memphis. Uh, what's his name? He's a he's a power forward. Yeah, the big forward out of Memphis. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. dropped out. Um, you know him or or really, you know any of some of these kind of. I think they need a bigger body, obviously, because they have such talented backcourt and Wiggins is more of a three guy. So I think if they can come out of the draft with somebody really good and then you know kind of build that bench up like they did with the Leandro Barbosa, Maurice Spates bench from a couple years ago, Sean Livingston. They're scary. They're a force to be reckoned with in the West and the league. So, you know, we'll see what happens. But I think this is everybody's kind of window with Golden State coming back next year. This is definitely the window now. You you're more knowledgeable about the MLB than me because I, I just can't sit through a baseball game. I'm sorry. <laughs> if if it's not a fight happening, if somebody's not rushing the mound, you can count me out of it. I'm sorry. <laughs> what why haven't MLB players taking accountability of their like of loving their teammates and protecting themselves and social distancing, wearing the mask. Why aren't MLB players taking it as serious as maybe NFL players or NBA players? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I can't speak to it on the ground level. I'm not, you know, a Miami Marlins beat reporter or anything, but I do follow the league pretty closely. I, you know, I keep up with quite a few beat reporters. I, I really do love the league and and obviously I work here, so I try to stay up on it. Um, No, I mean, I think it really comes down to, in a lot of ways with sports, they show themselves to be a microcosm of the society at large. And I think baseball so often is that, and we see, you know, from what we've read and what we've heard that with the Miami Marlins case, um, and then to a lesser extent with the St. Louis Cardinals, and then obviously the teams that they played, Um, You know, some individuals didn't feel as compelled to adhere to the protocols for as long or they went kind of, oh, well, none of us have tested positive yet. Let me go out and do different stuff and interact with people. And then sure enough, they got 18 positive tests. So I think it's just not necessarily the sports problem. Obviously, they are traveling. I think it comes down to some of those individuals that just decided, much like many of us in the United States decided, you know, this doesn't affect me. I'm going to be fine. And then kind of go out living their life frivolously outside of the bubbles that they had set up within their teams and, you know, gone and done things, which obviously caused them to contract the virus. So it's do not you, a very good book for my sport, but. Do you think they were, do you think the, the MLB was, were prepared enough before this, the start of the season? Oh, uh, yes and no. I mean, I, I know they had obviously an extensive protocol like every other major professional league. I think, they had systems in place, but it's kind of come down to what a lot of people have said. If you're traveling, if you're going from place to place, uh, you know, and I know a friend of mine from high school, actually, Mark Mathias, was just called up yesterday to the uh, two days ago to the Milwaukee Brewers, and he got his major league debut and then his first career hit and start last night. Congratulations to him. Uh, I know from his experience, like he was at the uh, alternate training location, they're calling it. So for the Brewers, it's just in Appleton, Wisconsin. And even for guys like that, like they had to travel from the alternative training site to the ballpark, then from that ballpark to the next ballpark and 
you know, inevitably you can't keep an eye on every single, not only player, but personnel, coach, everybody affiliated with the team and the traveling party for all the 24 hours in a day. So, um, you know, I think they've done as best a job as they think they could. And I think they realize a bubble just wasn't realistic for them for all 30 teams, but yeah, you just hope that with what happened with the Marlins and now with the Cardinals, I know guys understand that they're more accountable now and hopefully prevent slip-ups like that from the future. I mean, you got to think if one more thing happens, they're done for the season. That's what I was about to ask you. Um, do you think that will the season continue or if it does continue, will it even get to a championship? Because I know that some some teams have missed so many games that they, it's not even possible to make it up that they said that they're thinking about um, thinking about going with win percentage to determine the playoffs. Do you think they should just end it? It's hard for me to say. I mean, I'm a baseball lover. I mean, it's my favorite sport. Obviously, I'm a big fan of all four, and I love soccer, but I think they're not going to. And obviously, from a from a business and a sales standpoint, they have so many obligations to carry it forward. I really think they're going to try to make it work. And obviously now the added perspective of the scares with the Marlins and Cardinals can kind of inform their process going forward or the rest of the season. So, you know, as much as people kind of express that pessimism, I tend to err on the glass half full kind of thing. Most of the time I try to be realistic. I try to, you know, look at everything. And for a couple of minutes there, it really did look like the end of the season was imminent. I think they're going to play it out, man. I think 60 games plus the the, uh, the players association as well as the, the league have decided to go with, you know, seven inning double headers to try and expedite the process a little bit. Obviously, the extra inning rule this year was starting a runner on second base. That'll speed things up. I, I think they're committed. I think the making up of games is definitely going to be crazy, but obviously the double header thing is to kind of to kind of quell that. So. We'll see, but no, I, I definitely am hopeful that they'll get through it, man. I just want I want to see a World Series, man. I want to see the playoffs. I think that's when it gets exciting for everybody. Now, that I'll watch. I'll watch a World Series. Now, I appreciate you coming on the morning lock-in and spending your time with me. If you locked in, tell me that you locked in. Yeah. I'm locked in. I'm locked in. Yeah. Kel. Kel. You're already committed, so you're already locked in, you know what I'm saying? Again, 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 I want to give a major shout-out to my guy David Grubman and Jamiko on coming on this episode of The Morning Lock-In with your guy. The birthday episode celebrated in 15 different countries. Norman Lock's birthday, August 8th, yearly. Make sure you you at the party next year. You know, this year we couldn't have a shindig, but we're going to have a party next year, 2021. We're going to do it big. But... I just wanted to give you a little bit of reflections of what I've thought over this past 365. You know, to begin the year, I was able to attend the national championship in my hometown and cover the LSU Tigers winning, going undefeated, one of the biggest sports moments of my entire life. And two months later for my show to come off air, uh, for us, everybody at ESPN to get furloughed and, and laid off, it's just been, you know hella changing but i can say that i am happy to be alive i'm happy to be here i'm happy to be able to talk sports because there are some people that don't have 
the basic needs that they have to survive in life. They don't they have people that have loved ones that have perished due to this virus. So I am appreciative of all the support, all of the love that I get from y'all, my fans, ESPN 1420, my family. I'm just hella supported. I'm sorry I might be dizzy from, from what I've done this weekend, but I just want to tell y'all I love y'all. I appreciate y'all. And on next episode of the Morning Lock-In, we back, baby. We going live. I'm going to be in studio. We're going to turn up. NBA playoff season should be set. And we're going to attack it head on. Maybe we're going to have football. Maybe not. But again, we living day to day in the times that we in. I appreciate y'all again. If y'all want to send me some birthday cake or anything, please do. Please do. Just drop it off at the ESPN 1420 station or mail it or something. I know they got a crazy protocols, but just get it to me. Tune in out. See y'all on the next episode of Morning Lock and I'm out. You ain't even gotta have John Madden. You ain't gotta have Dick Vitale. You ain't gotta have Lee Carso. You ain't gotta have Stuart Scott. You ain't gotta have Linda Cohen. No, I'm talking about you ain't gotta have the staff for ESPN. You ain't gotta have the ABC staff just to speak sports, baby, because I got games for you.
You ain't even gotta have John Madden. You ain't gotta have Dick Vitale. You ain't gotta have Lee Carso. You ain't gotta have Stuart Scott. You ain't gotta have Linda Corn. No, I'm talking about. You ain't gotta have the staff of ESPN. You ain't gotta have the ABC staff just to speak sports, baby. Cause I got games for you. Yeah, yeah. Yo, 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 that's Connecticut. That's the big time place. My guy, Jason Amino. We call him Jamico. So that's what we're going to call him here on the show. How you doing today? Hey, thank you so much, Norm. Thanks for having me on, man. Jamico. It's good. To, it's good Jamico. to be here. It's good to be here talking sports, bro. Hey, you know, we blessed to be talking sports right now because two months ago, three months ago, we wasn't talking about nothing. Nope. Wasn't doing anything. So how, how have things been with ESPN and you out there in Bristol with the quarantine and everything happening? Oh, it's been good, man. It's been good. I can definitely say, um, you know, as we discussed, like that moment, and I think right when everything kind of started hitting, obviously the Rudy Gobert news uh, contracting COVID-19 and then everything that came with that, all the major professional leagues shutting down, uh, I think it really kind of brought a lot of perspective on, you know, what sports mean to us and more generally what entertainment means to us in terms of for me like music film all the things that we loved and enjoyed so regularly just being kind of taken from us at a moment's notice um but honestly as as much as we're still in an uncertain period as much as i think we still got a lot of things to get through just as a country as a society um i'm glad man just like you we got the bubble we got some nba we got some action uh, we got MLB for however knows <laughs> whoever knows how much longer. Um, but yeah, we got NBA and uh, you know NHL and and obviously um, the playoffs. So so I'm stoked about that, man. Now speaking about Rudy, Rudy shut down the league and was the first to score the first basket in the bubble, and then he hit the game winner. Crazy! That game. That's, it's crazy. You can't sports. You can't make it up. Nope. Um. But that brings us to the, the NBA. What do you think about the bubble, the setup, uh, the production, how the media has been handling? What you, what's your total synopsis of this NBA bubble down in Orlando? No, it's a great question, Norm. Um, I think I, I have something of an interesting perspective because obviously I am here in Bristol at, at the mothership, as we call it, with ESPN. But I've been fortunate enough to work on a bunch of games uh, since the restart. Uh, I did – a doubleheader last week. I just actually did a doubleheader yesterday with the OKC Laker game uh, and the and the Brooklyn Nets Celtics game, which was kind of a snooze fest. But um, <laughs> I will say, like, I mean, I work with the with Deportes and the Spanish broadcast side, so um, we're obviously doing some of the same games, just in a completely different language, um, which is honestly kind of interesting. But I will say, like, I think NBA more so than any other league has done a great job of, of everything. I think, you know, obviously acknowledging the, the issues of racial injustice in this country and, and shedding light on that properly uh, throughout the duration of the restart. I think the, the design, the presentation, the production value of the whole thing, both NBA and WNBA have been very impressive. Um, and I think the, the quality of play, I mean, I think we've seen, you know, some times maybe a little bit lackluster defense uh, I did a Mavericks Rockets game that you know I thought <laughs> the NBA record for all-time points 1983 370 total points in that game so I thought maybe wow, we were gonna touch that because the because the 
uh, Mavericks and Houston came a little bit close, but, um, but no, I think, I think it's been good overall. I mean, my impression is obviously kind of Bill Simmons has said, and I feel like it's a combo of like AAU FIBA tournament, Euro league, summer league. Like it has a little bit of all those in terms of playing basketball in an empty gym, plus all the added eyeballs because it's the last few games of the NBA and then the NBA playoffs. So so it's been good, man. I, I can't complain, honestly. It's good to have it back on our TVs. Yeah, I really love, you know, I love what the NBA and Adam Silver has been able to concoct in a short amount of time for it to be so successful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what What questions, what, what's been bothering me and, and the question that's been on my mind is why haven't the other commissioners talked to Adam Silver and kind of get a roundtable of the the big commissioners, you know, like old mob families and Adam, give them the game, you know, like, here you go, Roger. This is how we do this. You know, <laughs> no, for real. why can't he just give them the game? You know, they haven't had any positive tests in what the last three weeks, two weeks. No. Yeah. From what we know. And, and I think your point is well taken, especially because if you consider like beyond just how they've dealt with, with COVID-19 and the restart. I think if you look at the NBA from a lot of different perspectives, from a, a popularity standpoint, from a rating standpoint, from a sales standpoint, um, from a social justice standpoint, like the NBA is honestly firing on all cylinders right now and seems to be just, they get it right in so many facets, um, despite whatever criticisms people might have of the league. I think they're really, yeah, like I said, firing on all cylinders and just doing an amazing job, it would be well served for for the Rob Manfreds and the much maligned Roger Goodells of the world to talk to Adam Silver and have not only right now, they probably have an open line of communication with him, but really get in the room and be like, yo, Adam, how do we get our leagues like yours? Like, I think they need to sit there and really draw from what the NBA has done because, you know, as much as we love those other sports, they have a lot more things to improve upon that Hey, even despite what happened with, with the Houston Rockets, GM Daryl Morey's tweet in the offseason and all the uh, incidents regarding the China stuff, they've bounced back. I mean, yet again, you see the NBA is is seemingly in the top. So, yeah, no, the other commissioners could learn a lot. The other commissioners need to call him, need to sit down, <laughs> FaceTime, like, FaceTime, Zoom, something. Everything. They got to get it done. Now, with like you say, in, this, in the bubble, it's, it's like open gym. You know, it's you in the hoop. It's 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 me, my guys versus your guys. There's no home court advantage. There's no when I hit this three, the fans go crazy, and now I can't even get down the court. I'm scared. You know, what do you think is the well? Who do you think is the hottest team in the NBA bubble right now? No, I mean from what I've seen, um, I mean it definitely it definitely reminds me of like I grew up playing basketball at a gym called Club Sport in Fremont, California, and we were actually fortunate enough just for whatever reason, um, Robert Para, the majority owner of the Memphis Grizzlies, owned a company in the Bay Area, so he would play with us. Uh, one year he brought like Mike Miller, Tony Allen, and Mike Conley to just come shoot at our gym. Um, I love Tony Allen. Yeah, no, he's amazing. Um, and then we played with like Lil B. He would literally just play with us. I'm not, I'm not kidding. <laughs> played, packed, and shot, uh, scored a basket on Lil B. And he's just like, did a he cook? Did he want on? Honestly, you? he just was like an average player. He's kind of a small guy, but I will say, like when we hit buckets against him, we did do a little cook a little bit because we had to. We had to. <laughs> but yeah, no, this this restart in the gym it really reminds me of that as far as just like 
five on five, like open gym runs, like you're just playing, you know, it's, it's everything else, like all the fat, if you will cut out and just the basketball. Um, and I think with that, I have to say the hottest team, the team that really has impressed me. Um, I think the nuggets deserve an honorable mention because of how well Michael Porter jr. My guy from Mizzou, although only two games um, has looked, I think, you know, Jokic, some of those guys. Um, but I honestly, man, the hottest team to me, I got to go with the Portland Trailblazers, man. I, I really hey. do. I really do. I love Syracuse. My dad's family's from upstate New York. I've always loved Carmelo. I think kind of to what you've alluded to, Melo has been much maligned, some of that unjustifiably so. And he's proved it. He's still capable of scoring in this league. He's still capable of playing good minutes. He's still capable of I mean, he doesn't have to be the guy there. They have Dame Lillard. They have C.J. McCollum. And they have a lot of guys where, you know, in the paint as well with Hassan Whiteside, Nurkic, uh, Collins, they might be a force. They might just grab that eighth seed. I'm sorry to say. I know you got some Pelicans homers probably. but I, Man, man I don't even want, we're not going to talk about the Pelicans right <laughs> now. We're not going to talk about the Pelicans right now. I'm still licking my wounds. But I do agree with you. With the Blazers, I've, I've actually picked the Blazers to get the eight seat in the beginning of the bubble. Mm. Uh, just for all the reasons that you just alluded to, I just think Melo right now being the fourth scoring option takes so much pressure off him. And right now, this is the least amount of pressure Melo has ever had in his career, and he's blossoming. Mm. He doesn't have the New York eyes on him. He doesn't have the pressure of, of competing against the King as he was in with the Nuggets. You know, I think this is the best version of Melo, not scoring-wise, but this is the best mentally version of Melo that we are seeing. And and I'm with you. If the, the Lakers are going to have a handful, if the Blazers get this eight seat, because Alex Caruso, Danny Green, who's been playing terrible, and J.R. Smith, it won't be able to contain Dame Lillard and C.J. McCollum. No, that's a fair point. I mean, you know, with Melo, I think, especially if you look at kind of what preceded his time with Portland this season, the guy went to OKC, didn't work out. The guy went to Houston. They trade him to Chicago, who then waves him. Like, they wave a Hall of Fame, one of the greatest players of this generation, 03 draft. Like, I mean, it is disrespectful if you look at what he was capable of, but it just wasn't a fit. I think there's so much to be said for in sports and specifically in the NBA of context and a guy's surroundings, a guy's environment, a guy's team, a guy's especially point guard and and coach. So it looks like right now what we're seeing is, you know, Carmelo Anthony is looking like maybe not his old self, the Nuggets, the year they went to the Western Conference Finals and lost to the Lakers, but they're definitely, you know, he looks good. He looks like he's going to help them a lot. And as you said, I mean, if, if he's your fourth scoring option, that's a Hall of Fame first ballot guy who can really score from anywhere in the court at any time, not to mention what they have with Damian Lillard uh, as well as CJ McCollum. So, so it should be interesting, man. I think they're really gunning for that eight seed. All right. What about in the East? What, what's, who's the hottest team in the East to you? Again, a toss up. Um, I think I definitely, you know, Indiana Pacers have to be an honorable mention. We've seen TJ Warren, guy who just didn't show a deep jumper earlier in his career in the league, showing his ability to score from beyond the arc, to hit that 15 to 20 footer and do things in the paint. I think that's added a whole new dimension to them. Plus, they have Oladipo back healthy again. Um, But I got to go with the Boston Celtics, man. I did their game last night. 
obviously against a decimated Brooklyn Nets roster. Um, but Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker, they don't really have a center. They don't really have guys in the paint that seem like they can keep up. But that that really nice kind of group of young, blossoming, scoring wings might just take them deep in the playoffs again. Now, this is where we're going to have to disagree. One, I don't have any faith in the Indiana Pacers. I like <laughs> T.J. Warren. He has been able to, to, to bring that clip out in this bubble. But I have zero faith in the Indiana Pacers. Two, the Boston Celtics. My problem with the Boston Celtics is it's like everybody plays the same position. Mm. And, there's, and there's no alpha male on the team. You can't, you can't sit there. Well, Boston, you can't go between Kimba being the leader and the veteran on that team, Jason Tatum being the blossoming superstar. I, I haven't figured out Jalen Brown yet, but he's more of the alpha on the team, but he isn't the best player on the team. Then you got Gordon Haywood just thrown in the mix. And then, like you said, they don't have any bigs. So I, I, I kind of fallen off from Boston. I think they have regressed from last season. I think they need to revamp their roster. Uh, I think losing Al Hawford has hurt them more than it has helped them, even with the addition of Kimber Walker this season. So I'm going to have to disagree on both their East picks. <laughs> no, and it's all good. I mean, and you make a fair point. Like Tatum, you know, I watched him at the Missouri State High School Basketball Finals with Chaminade. I've seen him a lot in the league since. He looks amazing. He looked amazing in the last couple of playoffs. But then, as you said, like I'm looking here at his field goal uh, percentages in the last few games in the bubble against the Bucks in the first game since the restart, he went two for 18, you know, 11 for – He had to cut his hair. Game, six for 11, seven for 11. And, I mean, frankly, that's not what you want from a superstar, right? You want a lot more attempts, a lot more buckets. So, no, it's a fair point. I think, you know, if they're going to make anything of a deep run, they need Tatum to step up in a big way, and they need all their guys to really play like they're capable of. I don't think they're, they're quite there yet. But they have definitely look good in the bubble. So, if you was to give me – your give me give me your Western Conference Finals, give me your Eastern Conference Finals, and give me your your championship winners. Okay, for sure. Yeah, I thought we were going to go through the seeds, but honestly, a lot of the seeding is fairly set. I mean, yeah, it's kind of difference between a lot of them, but um, no, other, oh, go ahead. Yeah, other than the eighth and the ninth seed with the play in, right. uh, other than that, like you said, it's pretty much seeded. Right. Yeah, Brooklyn. Brooklyn's a wrap, I think, in that eighth seed in the in the East. And then I was going to talk to you about the West. You know, I said Portland. I really want to go New Orleans because I think it's so good for the league if Zion plays in that. The way Ingram's looked, Lonzo Ball's obviously gone to a different level since leaving the Lakers. But man, it's so hard to pick against the Blazers with all that they have and the way they've been playing. Even with the Suns, even with the Spurs, kind of making a little push for it, I think the Blazers are ultimately going to get that eighth seed. But uh, as for conference finals. Uh, we could start with the East. I think, man, it's tough just because of the way Giannis has played and because of that roster, um, especially now that we know about this patella subluxation for Ben Simmons. I think it's going to be Celtics-Bucks. Um, and then in the West, I think it's going to be – it's so hard, man. I think, you know, Houston, the particular <laughs> basketball, there's so many good teams. Man, I I got it as – I'm going to go Lakers-Nuggets, man. I really do. Okay. I think, I think okay. that's my West. I like conference. that. And then in the finals, I think I got to take go with the OG Classic, 30 for 30, three-part series, Celtics-Lakers, man. We got to hey. do it. We got to see it. 
You know what's crazy? Every old head in the barbershop has always told me that the NBA will find a way to get the Lakers and Boston back in the finals. And that's yeah. and it's crazy to have sit and watch Boston get better, the Lakers get better, and then slowly but surely, I think I can agree with you that it it's possibly could happen, especially in these next coming seasons, this season, next season, and the following, with the youth of uh, the Boston Celtics. And then if you got LeBron James, you you arguably got, you know, 50-50 chance you're going to be in the finals. Yeah, the way that it's gone. I mean, obviously, I'm a, I'm a diehard Warriors fan, just a disclaimer. I always say that I grew up, you know, 10 minutes from Oracle Arena, and I watched them in the Zarko Chibarkaba era. Year after year, they had, you know, garbage draft picks, and then obviously we're able to build a dynasty in the last five seasons that we've seen. You know, it is interesting. We went 15-50 and 50 this year. Obviously, no Steph, no Clay for much of the year. Uh, really no Draymond, so – they had a decimated roster, but, uh, you know, just kind of keeping that perspective of what we were able to do in those finals, what we were able to do throughout all these last five postseasons, kind of that mindset of what that team was able to do. And then where that team is now kind of looming large as a shadow over the rest of the league in future seasons. I think LeBron and Giannis know that. I think they're aware, look, if we don't do it this year, Steve Kerr, Steph, they're going to be back, man. They're going to be back regardless of whether KD's there. So, um, so yeah, and I think it's so tough to go against Giannis, the way he's looked all season. I mean, that guy scores in a multitude of ways. That guy just looks incredible defensively. He's probably going to be the MVP and the defensive player of the year. Um, but I got to give it to LeBron, man. I got to say it's going to be Lakers over the Celtics. I really – Okay, now, now you, you – you... back to your Golden State Warriors. Yeah. I still – I'm with you on – Next season, once Steph returns and Clay returns, that next season's NBA season probably will be the most even kill that the NBA has ever been. Because mm. you the, the West is gonna be stacked, but the East is gonna be stacked with Kyrie and KD return back to the Brooklyn Nets. So I think the the basketball gods have kind of evened all the playing fields once Steph Clay returns and once Kyrie and KD returns because, man, the, the 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 talent, especially with the Warriors, what everybody is alluded to is that y'all probably trade Andrew Wiggins for somebody else. And that's what I'm terrified of is, like, what if the Golden State Warriors get a lottery pick and end up with uh, Lonzo Ball or, or, or end up trading Andrew Wiggins for Giannis after he demands a trade from Milwaukee? after maybe losing in the finals. I'm terrified of going to sleep <laughs> next season. That's good. That's good. No, I mean, I think that stuff's a little crazy. I think hearing Steve Kerr this week, I mean, they sound pretty committed to Andrew Wiggins. I mean, he fits as a wing, an athletic guy on both ends of the floor, kind of doesn't have to be the guy like he was dependent to be in Minnesota. He can score. He can do a lot of things and doesn't, like I said, doesn't have to be the focal point. Um, but I honestly think I think they're going to keep that Wiggins pick. I think we've seen the emergence of Marquise Chris, um, and also oh, they had they had Marquise Chris and somebody else kind of look good for them off the bench this year. Um, I think you know we'll see what they he do. Kind of looks like Draymond Green. What's his name? Starts with oh Eric Pascal. That's who I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah, out of Villanova. Eric Pascal's look really good. Um, and then honestly, you know, a t- potentially a top three pick. Like if they come, I want Obi Toppin, but. If they come out with Justice, Win- uh, excuse me, if they come out with uh, a guy out of Memphis, 
Uh, what's his name? He's a he's a power forward. Yeah, the big forward out of Memphis. Yeah, yeah, who, who yeah. dropped out. Um, you know him or or really, you know any of some of these kind of. I think they need a bigger body, obviously, because they have such talented backcourt, and Wiggins is more of a three guy. So I think if they can come out of the draft with somebody really good and then, you know, kind of build that bench up like they did with the Leandro Barbosa, Maurice Spates bench from a couple years ago, Sean Livingston, they're scary. They're a force to be reckoned with in the West and the league. So, you know, we'll see what happens, but I think this is everybody's kind of window with golden state coming back next year. This is definitely the window. Now you, you're more knowledgeable about the MLB than me because I, I just can't sit through a baseball game. I'm sorry. If, if it's not a fight happening, if somebody's not rushing the mound, you can count me out of it. I'm sorry. <laughs> what, why haven't MLB players taken accountability of their, like, of loving their teammates and protecting themselves and social distancing, wearing the mask? Why aren't MLB players taking it as serious as? maybe NFL players or NBA players? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I can't speak to it on the ground level. I'm not, you know, a Miami Marlins beat reporter or anything, but I do follow the league pretty closely. I, you know, I keep up with quite a few beat reporters. I, I really do love the league and, and obviously I work here, so I try to stay up on it. Um, no, I mean, I think it really comes down to, in a lot of ways with sports, they show themselves to be a microcosm of the society at large. And I think baseball so often is that, and we see, you know, from what we've read and what we've heard that with the Miami Marlins case, um, and then to a lesser extent with the St. Louis Cardinals, and then obviously the teams that they played, um, you know, some individuals didn't feel as compelled to adhere to the protocols for as long, or they went kind of, oh, well, none of us have tested positive yet. Let me go out and do different stuff and interact with people and then sure enough they got 18 positive tests so i think it's just not necessarily the sports problem obviously they are traveling i think it comes down to some of those individuals that just decided much like many of us in the united states decided you know this doesn't affect me i'm going to be fine and then kind of go out living their life frivolously outside of the bubbles that they had set up within their teams and you know, gone and done things, which obviously caused them to contract the virus. So it's do not you, a very good look for my sport, but. Do you think they were, do you think the, the MLB was, were prepared enough before this, the start of the season? Oh, uh, yes and no. I mean, I, I know they had obviously an extensive protocol like every other major professional league. I think they had systems in place, but it's kind of come down to what a lot of people have said. If you're traveling, if you're going from place to place, uh, you know, and I know, a friend of mine from high school, actually, Mark Mathias, was just called up yesterday to the uh, two days ago to the Milwaukee Brewers, and he got his major league debut and then his first career hit and start last night. Congratulations to him. Uh, I know from his experience, like he was at the uh, alternate training location, they're calling it. So for the Brewers, it's just in Appleton, Wisconsin. And even for guys like that, like they had to travel from the alternative training site to the ballpark, then from that ballpark to the next ballpark. And you know, inevitably, you can't keep an eye on every single, not only player, but personnel, coach, everybody affiliated with the team and the traveling party for all the 24 hours in a day. So, um, you know, I think they've done as best a job as they think they could. And I think they realize a bubble just wasn't realistic for them for all 30 teams. But yeah, you just hope that with what happened with the Marlins and now with the Cardinals, I know guys understand that they're more accountable now and 
hopefully prevent slip-ups like that from the future. I mean, you got to think if one more thing happens, they're done for the season. That's what I was about to ask you. Um, do you think that will the season continue or if it does continue, will it even get to a championship? Because I know that some some teams have missed so many games that it's not even possible to make it up that they said that they're thinking about um, – thinking about going with win percentage to determine the playoffs. Do you think they should just end it? It's hard for me to say. I mean, I'm a baseball lover. I mean, it's my favorite sport. Obviously, I'm a big fan of all four, and I love soccer. But I think they're not going to. And obviously, from a from a business and a sales standpoint, they have so many obligations to carry it forward. I really think they're going to try to make it work. And obviously, now the added perspective of the scares with the Marlins and Cardinals can kind of inform their process going forward or the rest of the season. So, you know, as much as people kind of express that pessimism, I tend to err on the glass half full kind of thing. Most of the time, I try to be realistic. I try to, you know, look at everything. And for a couple of minutes there, it really did look like the end of the season was imminent. I think they're going to play it out, man. I think 60 games plus the, the, uh, the players association as well as the the league have decided to go with you know seven inning double headers to try and expedite the process a little bit obviously the extra inning rule this year was starting a runner on second base that'll speed things up i, I think they're committed i think the making up of games is definitely going to be crazy but obviously the double header thing is to kind of to kind of quell that so We'll see, but no, I, I definitely am hopeful that they'll get through it, man. I just want I want to see a World Series, man. I want to see the playoffs. I think that's when it gets exciting for everybody. Now, that I'll watch. I'll watch a World Series. Now, I appreciate you coming on the morning lock-in and spending your time with me. Again, 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 I want to give a major shout-out to my guy, David Grubman and Jamiko on coming on this episode of the morning lock-in with your guy, the birthday episode celebrated in 15 different countries Norman Locke's birthday August 8th yearly make sure you you at the party next year you know this year we couldn't have a shindig but we're gonna have a party next year 2021 we're gonna do it big but I just wanted to give you a little bit of reflections of what I've thought over this past 365 you know to begin the year I was able to attend the national championship in my hometown and cover the LSU Tigers winning, going undefeated, one of the biggest sports moments of my entire life. And two months later for my show to come off air, uh, for us, everybody at ESPN to get furloughed and, and laid off, it's just been, you know, hella changing. But I can say that I am happy to be alive. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be able to talk sports because there are some people that don't have the basic needs that they have to survive in life. They don't they have people that have loved ones that have perished due to this virus. So I am appreciative of all the support, all of the love that I get from y'all, my fans, ESPN 1420, my family. I'm just hella supported. I'm sorry I might be dizzy from, from what I've done this weekend, but I just want to tell y'all I love y'all. I appreciate y'all. And on next episode of the Morning Lock-In, we back, baby. We going live. I'm going to be in studio. We're going to turn up. NBA playoff season should be set, and we're going to attack it head on. Maybe we're going to have football, maybe not. But again, we live in day-to-day in the times that we in. I appreciate y'all again. If y'all want to send me some birthday cake or anything, please do. Please do. 
just drop it off at the ESPN 1420 station or mail it or something. I know they got a crazy protocols, but just get it to me. Tune in and out. See y'all on the next episode of Morning Lock. And I'm out.